Hey, if you've got your Bibles, 2 Samuel chapter 18 is where we're going to be. We're closing out this series in the Old Testament uh, called Stranger Things. If you've read something in your Bible and you're like, that is weird, why is that even in there? And we didn't touch on it in these four weeks together, let me know. Maybe we'll do a Stranger Things part two next year. Uh, but this morning I want to speak to you on the subject of being high and dry. I don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase before, high and dry. It's uh, said to have originated uh, in the 1700s in Russia. So I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say Russia this, you know, this close to an election. You know, your phones have maybe started recording me now, but nonetheless, a Russian vessel was uh, in some deep water and they didn't realize it. It was a high tide and so they ended up being beached on some sand and the tide went back out. They couldn't leave and they were left high and dry. And in the late 1700s, uh, a a newspaper reporter uh, supposedly first coined the phrase high and dry. Somebody say high High. and dry. dry. That's what we talk about today. High and dry and dry. Now before we can dig into 2 Samuel 18, we need to set the stage a little bit with 2 Samuel 14. So we'll put this on screen for you. It says this, now Absalom was praised as the most handsome man in all Israel. He was flawless from head to foot. He cut his hair only once a year and then only because it was so heavy. When he cut it out, it came to five pounds. In case you're curious what that looks like, here it is. What? <laughs> Flawless from head. You hear what I'm saying? That's cr- Get that off of there. Let's go. Second Samuel 18. So the battle began in the forest of Ephraim and the Israelite troops were beaten back by David's men. There was a great slaughter that day and 20,000 men laid down their lives. To put that in perspective, if you're from the Newton area, that's the whole town of Newton wiped out. Uh, Park City, Bel Air, Kichai, gone. That's 20,000 people killed in this battle. The battle raged all across the countryside. And check this, more men died because of the forest than were killed by the sword. What? People getting eaten by trees? We got Lord of the Rings, like Wizard of Oz stuff happening with the trees. Crazy. Uh, The point is clear. Never go camping. Okay, that's just exactly what that entire verse means. Never go to the forest. Done. Verse 9. During the battle, Absalom happened to come upon some of David's men. He tried to escape on his mule, but as he rode beneath the thick branches of a great tree, his hair, his big, beautiful, flawless hair, got caught in the tree. His mule kept going and left him dangling in the air. He was high and dry. One of David's men saw what had happened, told Joab, I saw Absalom dangling from a great tree. What? Joab demanded. You saw him there and didn't kill him? I would have rewarded you with 10 pieces of silver and a WWE championship belt. He said, I'm killing the king's son for even a thousand pieces of silver. The man replied, we all heard the king say to you and Abishai and Ittai, for my sake, please spare young Absalom. 
And if I had betrayed the king by killing his son, the king would certainly find out who did it. You yourself would be the first to abandon me. In other words, I'm not going to let you leave me high and dry. 14, enough of this nonsense, Joab said. Then he took three spears, plunged them into Absalom's heart as he dangled, still alive, in the great tree. Ten of Joab's young armor bearers then surrounded Absalom and killed him. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the opportunity just to come and and gather in this place. We're asking you to do what only you can do. Speak to our hearts. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart and mind to understand. And God, forgive us for our lust towards Aquaman and Jason Momoa and his flawless appearance. We love you. Amen. Hey, I'm sure you've been in a situation before where you would describe the experience as being left high and dry. Uh, Perhaps you were on the interstate at one point and you blew a tire. You didn't know what to do. Nobody stopped to help you high and dry. Uh, Maybe you went to a gas station and uh, left your wallet somewhere and you didn't realize it until you pulled up to get the gas. And now you're like, well, now what am I going to do? I'm on empty. You can't drive back and you would describe it being high and dry. Uh, I can remember a couple years ago, it was actually about the same time of the year, it was fall, we were getting ready for a trunk or treat uh, here at the church and uh, we were also getting ready for baptisms and so uh, I had a guy come to the office to help me load everything up, you know it's portable and we got to get the baptisms and all the candy and so uh, a friend of mine, a a guy here at the church uh, who will remain nameless for the remainder of the story but uh, he, he came to help me. And, and it's fall, and it's early, it's 6 in the morning, it's dark. I don't know if you're familiar with our office or not, but there's the office complex, and there's an open field, and then there's a bank on the corner. And uh, as we were loading everything up, we heard somebody yell, Hey, can you help me? And so we were looking out again, it's dark, and we noticed across the field on the far end by the bank, a, a man r- raises his hand and is kind of trying to flag us down. You know, can you help me? And even in the darkness, um, with the man's hand raised, I could see that this was a very large man. There was a girth about him. Uh, he was well over six feet tall and wide. Deep and wide is what we call that. And uh, so I, I, uh, we were like, yeah, you, we'll, we'll help. And so the, my, my former friend uh, had everything loaded up. And he was like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm out. You know, I'm going to go get the baptistry to the to the office, the tank, get it heated up, get the water in it. And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, okay. I'm not, I'm not nervous at all about this gigantic man coming our direction. So, yeah, that's, that's totally fine. Just do what you got to do. And so, uh, so he left, and the, the man a- approached me, and as he got nearer, he was even larger than, than what you could see uh, uh, from across the field. And uh, he said, my cell phone died, and I, I, need, I need to charge it. Can you charge my cell phone? I was like, yeah, man, come on, come on inside. Let's go into the office. And so I walked into the office and he was behind me and I turned around and was like, oh, hey, sir. Uh, he got into the light where I could see a little better. He's holding his phone and the cord and he's covered in blood. So there's that. Um, not at all scary. And um, he said, I, I need my, my phone charged. Can you charge it? Well, he was holding a cord, but it was just the USB cord. So I've been in an accident, need to call my wife, don't know the number, um, so if we could charge my phone, then I could get 
a hold of her. And I was like, yeah, sure. Uh, now, you'll forgive me for, for what happened next, um, but I might have lied a little bit because, again, it was just a USB. And I was like, oh, bro, I can't, I can't charge just a USB. But, you know, when somebody's in your office covered in blood, standing six foot eight, you know, four bills, you tend not to do everything they ask you to do if you're in that situation. So, um, in the reality, when we built out the office, we built it out with plugs that had USBs in them instead of the actual three-prong plug. And for the exact instance, if I forever, you know, forgot my plug and needed to charge USB, we would have it. But I was like, no, dude, I, I don't have that. Is there something else I can do for you? Can I call somebody, you know, and maybe the ambulance or the police if you were in an accident? And he was like, don't call the police. <laughs> no problem, sir. I will not be calling the police at any moment at all for you. So um, he said, maybe you can just take me to McDonald's. McDonald's has a cell phone, phone charging station, um, and we can, we can charge it there. And I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. Let's go to McDonald's. Jesus loves McDonald's. Uh, that would be a safe place for both of us. So uh, we, we loaded up in my, my vehicle, but again, the man's so big, he couldn't even hardly fit in my truck. We're, we're squeezing in there, and I'm waiting for him to, you know, constrain himself to get into the vehicle. But as he reached over to shut the passenger door, he didn't uh, reach with his right hand, as you would expect. He, instead, he reached over and under to, to close the door with his left hand. And it was at that moment that I noticed that his whole hand was about to fall off. That's where the blood was coming from. And I said, sir, maybe McDonald's isn't our best situation at this moment. Uh, it looks like you're in a lot of pain there and your hand is going to fall off. Maybe we should just go to the ER or something like that. And he reluctantly uh, agreed. And I, I drove him there and uh, full disclosure, I don't really know what happened to him after that. I, I talked to the nurses and, you know, said, hey, I'm a, I'm a pastor and got to get back to church. And I'm not sure uh, where he ended up, but uh, how many of y'all know I felt like I was left high and dry at the office when a gigantic man covered in blood comes? Perhaps high and dry isn't the best idiom in that example, uh, maybe left hung out to dry would be better because I was not dry at all. I had peed my pants multiple times with the whole experience. And so uh, hung out to dry maybe would have been more fitting, not high and dry. But uh, I'm, either way, I'm sure some of you have felt abandoned. Some of you have felt left behind. Some of you have felt maybe forgotten uh, I'd put dollars to donuts that some of you came to church this morning feeling like God has left you high and dry, uh, that God has left you abandoned, that at some point in life God brought you to a place and he was just like, all right, and then he, he left. And you're feeling the effects of that. You feel alone, you feel betrayed. Um, something has happened in life. Maybe, uh, maybe you lost a job and, and now you're struggling financially. Maybe you lost a loved one. Um, and you feel like God took that from you, and you're wondering why. Um, I don't know what it is. Maybe you're an athlete, you're injured, can't play your sport anymore, and you feel like God just brought you to a place to say, and now you're on your own. Um, what you need to hear me uh, say and, and understand within when this, in this conversation is that this is a big deal, this idea of abandonment, specifically if you feel like God is the one who has left you high and dry because our natural response to that is to run away. Our natural response anytime we feel abandoned is to run towards something 
else. And uh, this is the human condition to try and escape, to run away. We see this with Absalom when he was confronted and in a, in a literal fight, in a conflict. He uh, was confronted with the reality of the situation. He decided that he needed to run away. And uh, we could trace this all the way back to like Adam and Eve when they first sinned and uh, the reality of the situation they were in came to the forefront. What they do? They tried to hide themselves. They tried to escape from God. The, the Israelites, when they escaped from Egypt out of slavery, what happened with them? The first moment of any sort of struggle, they're like, hey, why did you bring us out here? Let's go back to Egypt. We had it so much better in slavery, which is just crazy to think about. But uh, Jonah, the prophet Jonah, when God told him to go somewhere, he didn't want to go. And what did he do? Try to find a ship sailing the opposite direction. I got to get out of here. Um, this is not for me. And this, again, is the human condition apart from God. That uh, we try and make decisions for ourselves in an effort to run away from something that we know we should be going towards. Uh, it's why some of you have chosen to, to drink. Uh, an excessive amount that you're you're trying to run away from something you're trying to escape some feelings that you have uh, and and alcohol is the way you're doing that Uh, some of you have chose to smoke because it's your way of escape Uh, use drugs some of you some of you want to uh, feel better about yourself and and drugs are the way that you've chosen to do that Uh, it's a it's just an escape mechanism some of you use retail therapy uh, you, you hop on Amazon all the time, you go shop at Target, and you buy something new because it makes you feel better, uh, but it never lasts, and we, we know that. Some of you work long hours, not because your job's particularly demanding, uh, but because uh, you, you, you're good at your job, and, and people respect you because of it. And they say, well, man, you're so awesome at what you do. And you don't have to try and get an extra sale, but you go ahead and do it just for, you know, the sense of satisfaction within the people at the office. And in reality, it's just because you don't want to go home. Uh, Because at home, you're just a guy. You're you're just a girl. You're just Bill. You know, nobody sees you the same way the people at work see you. And uh, you're running from something. And Young people, often what you do is you feel insecure about yourself and so you just do whatever it is your friends tell you to do because you're searching for something, you're, you're running from something else and you've made bad decisions and the consequences are coming you know, because of the decisions you've made and you feel like God's trying to keep something from you and so you're like, well, I want this and you know, if God loved me, he would give me this and so you're running away and you know, some, of the, some of you compulsively eat because of it. Some of you uh, compulsively date. You're looking for love. Uh, you need something. That, that what's in your soul is not. Some of you compulsively use pornography. It's a, it's a shield. It's a way to run away. It's your way to escape. It's a defense mechanism. And make no mistake, you, you need to hear me say that that's eventually going to catch up with you. You know, God's not wasting an opportunity. You're not here by accident. God brought you to this place to hear me say that the decisions you're making right now ultimately it leads to death. 
God, they're doing that thing where they just stare at me again. I'm not really sure how to continue from here, but uh, amen, somebody. God brought you here for a reason, and he needs you to understand that he hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you high and dry. Uh, The good news, jot this down if you're taking notes, God doesn't run away from runaways. Uh, God's not running away from you despite the fact that you're running away from him. He hasn't left you high and dry. He hasn't abandoned you. You don't look, need to look any further than three passages in Scripture that Jesus said in Luke 15 was a lost coin, lost sheep, lost son. Uh, from progression of little things to maybe the largest thing in life. They were lost. God sought after them. God chased after them. God sought them until he found them. And he does the same thing with you. Let that sink in. The creator of the universe, uh, despite the fact that we're running away from him, that our natural bent is not to run towards him, is to run away from them. He's always one step behind you, chasing after you, waiting for you to turn around and repent. Uh, That's what that word literally means, by the way. Repent, it means just to turn around, to change your direction. Uh, to realize that, that what you're going after is not satisfying your soul, that the only way that that can be satisfied is in uh, the work of Jesus. And so he wants you to repent, to turn around, to, to find him, God the Father, with arms open wide, saying, no, come, come back, come back to me. Amen. Hallelujah for that. And um, what you need to realize is, I guess maybe what I need to realize is that despite the fact that I'm saying that, some of you will still make the decision when you leave this place to say, you know what, I don't need God. Um, I can do this on my own. This is the hardest part of my job is to realize that no matter what I try and communicate to you, if God doesn't open up your heart to the reality of his goodness, to that the only way life can be found, the fullness of life that you're looking for is in him, the hardest part of my job is to know that some of you will say, you know what, he's not right, and look for it apart from God. And uh, the same reason Absalom chose to run is the same reason that ultimately all of us choose to run, and that's pride. Pride is what's keeping us from God. Pride is what's uh, making you believe that, that your way is better than God's way. Uh, pride is, is what uh, makes you think that you don't need somebody to save you, that you got this on your own. It's all, it all stems from pride. Every sin that you've ever committed, it stems from pride, that you think you know better than God. And did you know the Bible records for us very terrifying words when it comes to pride, four of which I'll read to you by James' half-brother, uh, in James 4, 6, he, write, God, he writes, God opposes the proud. Like God is literally against you. Uh, in the Greek, that word oppose, uh, it's the word antitasso. It, it literally means to be hostile towards. That is to say, God is hostile towards you in your pride. He's waging war against you when you're proud. Well, that's not very nice. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. (laughs) You can turn back towards God. Really, this story is a case study for what happens when people turn towards God versus what happens when people run away from God. Uh, The two kind of defining characters in this whole uh, account are King David and Absalom. And Absalom was the proud one. 
He was flawless from head to toe, right? He was beautiful. He traveled with an entourage. He had everything that you ever wanted in life. And uh, he, he, the Bible says it had this amazing chariot and he would go out uh, just to even the end of the, the, the gates of the city and 50 people would be with him and all the people would be, you know, chanting about how amazing he was. And he was like, yeah, I know, but uh, how much better of a king would I be than my dad? And Absalom started campaigning and waging this little insurrection within the, uh, the city of Jerusalem so that people would worship him and they'd kick David off the throne. This is, this is Absalom in his pride. But King David was just as prideful as his son. Uh, perhaps that's why he ordered the, the commanders of the army not to kill Absalom, because he loved Absalom because of how much he reminded him of himself. When he was young, when David was young, his son reminds him. And we read a story about King David's pride. You've perhaps read it. It's about Bathsheba. And he sees a woman and says, I want what I want when I want it. And uh, pride causes him to, to take the woman. And she ends up pregnant and her, her husband is murdered. And uh, it all stems from pride. The difference between the two accounts, though, is that when David repented, uh, God was there for him. While Absalom ran away. And uh, he ended up dying because of it. It's why uh, people nowadays are still naming their children David. And nobody names their son Absalom, you know, despite the fact that Absalom would just be a horrible name, you know what I mean? But I don't know what you call him, Abe or Abs or whatever, I don't know. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, write this down. Here's point number two. If you can be divided, you can be defeated. This is both literal and figurative. That if you can be divided, you can be defeated. Literal in the sense that we know that there's strength in unity. The, the three-strand cord cannot be easily broken, right? I mean, uh, armies fight in groups. That's what we see with, with King David. His, his battle-hardened commanders set up different groups uh, along the countryside, and they end up s- spreading out their enemy. And there was strength in David's camp in, in and in a unity. We know this from the three musketeers, right? Uh, Thank you, Charlie Sheen, for giving us this before you went crazy. But all for one and one for all. Uh, we're united in our front. We, we fight together. This is what uh, the, 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 the world wants you to, to not be. It's all about you. Uh, it's not about the group of people around you. How can they serve you and make you better? But in reality, God's like, no, no, it's about unity. And if you can be defi- divided, you can be defeated. Uh, figuratively, we know that this is true as well. Uh, Solomon, uh, David's other son, wrote about pride this way. Uh, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. You don't think he learned that from his brother, uh, the story of Absalom, that the pride ends up making him killed? Uh, Pride always divides, and that's what you need to understand. Pride always divides. And the relationships that you're supposed to be having and the relationship with God, that's where it's fracturing first. And then uh, we're supposed to be unified as a a people following God. And there's always going to be factions and things like this if you allow pride to come into your life and divide you in that capacity. So uh, moving forward, let's think about how this happens. Okay, let's think about how this happens. Number one, this happens in I'm better than you pride. 
Nobody would ever say that, that I'm better than you. But this is how pride happens, that I'm better than you. And if you think about it, if you end up in a group picture and uh, everybody in the group looks bad, but you look good, uh, is it a good, it's a good picture, right? Because you look for yourself first, and if everybody else is looking horrible, it doesn't matter because you looked amazing. It's an amazing picture. But if you look bad, but everybody else looks good, like your eyes are closed, but everybody else is smiling and happy, that's a horrible picture. You know, I'm not going to spend the $80 at Disney World for that picture because I look terrible. And uh, it's a silly example, but this is how pride in our hearts kind of starts to well up that we only care about ourselves. We only care about what we look like and we're better than you in the picture. And so it must be a good picture. This is how pride uh, starts to divide. Here's a second way. I can do it myself, pride. This is pride. Many of us think, well, it's just easier if I do it. I don't want to ask somebody. It's easier if I just get it done. And this is pride. Uh, you're actually robbing somebody of their spiritual blessing by you doing it yourself. And uh, you're robbing yourself of a spiritual blessing because God might have brought them to you per Ephesians 4 that talks about we're supposed to equip people for ministry. And God might have brought you them so that you could equip them. And in turn, you did it yourself. And now you've robbed them of a blessing and yourself of spiritual blessing. All because pride and it divides. And now we've got people do, off doing their own thing and your own thing, and you might as well just do it, and pride divides. Here's number three. I deserve this pride. Again, nobody's really going to ever say this, but I deserve this. God, uh, I, I deserve what you've given me. And, and the way you can kind of analyze this in your heart is uh, if you start loving the things of God more than God. That, oh, I, I, I deserve all that. I'm serving God. He's blessing me. Jesus tells a story about this in, uh, with a Pharisee, a religious leader of the day. He's off in a corner praying. and He's like, God, thank you for making me amazing. Thank you for making me not like the other losers that you brought here to see me pray in my glory. And I'm just so rad. And I'm awesome. You can read it for yourself. It's Luke 6-ish. I think it's recorded in Matthew 13 as well about... Uh, this guy praying about how amazing he is and how horrible everybody else is. Uh, this is how pride divides. The question is, well, okay, now I know how it divides. Where is it going to divide? Well, it divides here, the church, the people uh, of God, the people who are supposed to be serving God. And uh, it's why people start talking about cliques and, you know, it wasn't a welcoming place and I didn't feel and, you know, I, I didn't get fed. That's my personal favorite. Uh, you didn't feed me. And um, I felt like, oh, they only talked to so-and-so and I could never go to a, a place like this. And some of you right now are thinking about how Man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this because they need to apologize to me. And if they only heard about how much pride they had, then they could come to me and then this would be a better place. And now we've got literally hundreds of denominations popping up all over the place because the people can't, of God can't be unified. They fight over some of the stupidest stuff. I didn't like the music and you all had a, a, whatever and the pastor wore jeans and oh my gosh. And so it's all about you. And what you need to hear me to say is it's not about you. 
It's about Jesus. And Jesus didn't die on a cross because of how good you are. He died because of how good He is. And He just wants to be in a relationship with you because of how good He is. And He knows life can only be found in Him. And He wants you unified, first loving His Father in a relationship vertically and then a relationship horizontally. And He wants you loving the people around you. And we need to be unified in this mission to bring people into the saving work of Jesus Christ. Thank you. I thought I was preaching good, but this is the call that we have to be unified. And for some reason, there's division in the one place that God gave himself up for. Um, We're divided, and I don't quite understand it. C.S. Lewis maybe summed it up best when when he he writes that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less that you need to be serving because of what god did for you it's not about you and if you find yourself in a place where you're making decisions based on your personal preference then you know that you're not uh participating in god's purpose for your life Uh, because the purpose is to to help other people grow in a healthy relationship this is again why i'm so passionate about you serving not because i want you to do something for me but rather because i want something for you and for this church to be unified around the mission of god it's also why i'm so passionate about you getting involved in a small group because you need other people in your life to help lead you to be unified to to figure out how god wants you uh you know pride's going to divide your purpose and and you can't allow that to happen. So you've got to have people in your life that can call you out on it. You know, don't, don't let the devil divide your destiny. Um, and he's going to try and do that in this place, in this church. Here's the second place it's going to try and happen. Pride's going to try and divide you in your marriage. Scripture makes it clear that marriage is a picture of what Christ and the church is like. And we also know that Christ wins. You know, Jesus wins. If you've ever read the end of the Bible, uh, he comes back and it's awesome. But uh, the devil r- realizes that and he can't ever completely destroy the church. So he'll try and destroy as many as he can. But uh, the other thing that he wants to do is try and destroy your marriage. Because every time he sees two people happily married, it's a picture of what Christ did for the church and he can't stand that because he knows he can't win that. And so he's going to do whatever he can to cause you to start believing that, well, they didn't listen to me and they said it the wrong way and they're doing these things. And he's going to be trying to divide you out of pride. And you're going to be like, well, they didn't serve me. I deserve to go out and, and, and cheat on them because they didn't give me what I, this is just ridiculous. Um, but it's all centered around this idea of pride. Did you realize that in the middle of this letter pride is the letter I? Uh, here it is. I mean, like we, we got it. There it is. Pride. In the center, it's the letter I. It's all about you. That I can do whatever I... And if you start finding yourself saying I, 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 then you know that pride has taken root in your heart. It's growing into something that you don't want to grow, and it's ultimately going to divide and conquer you if you don't repent and turn towards God and ask Him to do what only He can do and help lead you in this capacity. Uh, I like what somebody said in, in the idea of marriage. It says, it's better to lose your pride to the one you love than to lose the one you love to your pride. Think about something within this idea of pride. When, uh, when you elevate yourself, when you start thinking more of yourself, when you start thinking that you're the point, the only place to go is down. Yet when you humble yourself, the only place to go 
is up. Uh, first will be last and the last first. I think I read that somewhere. But here's the last thing. The cure for conceit is the cross. The cure for pride, where do we go from here, Pastor? Well, it's the cross. Um, what, can we, what can we do? We can start trusting in Jesus. See, uh, how do I know that the cure for conceit is the cross? Well, because the picture that we get in this story of Absalom hanging in a tree is a foreshadowing of Jesus and what Jesus is ultimately going to do on our behalf. Let me show you three scriptures real fast. We'll put them on the screen that should sound familiar uh, based on this story. Deuteronomy 21, Moses writes, If a man has committed a crime worthy of death and is executed, then hanged on a tree, his body shall not remain on the tree overnight. You must bury him, for anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed of God. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body, where? On a tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. John 19.34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear as Absalom was pierced with a spear. See, the whole story is symbolic of another son who would die, a son who was loved very much by his father, who would hang literally between heaven and earth, who would raise up onto a cross, take his sin upon himself, and be cursed because he was hanging on a tree. That curse was your curse. The curse is the fact that you couldn't live a perfect life despite the fact that he did. The curse is the wage of sin, which happens to be death. You earn death by sinning. And Jesus was cursed with death on a cross. But because he lived a perfect life, death could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. The curse could not hold him. He rose from the dead, thereby conquering sin and death, and 2,000 years later, your sins can be forgiven if you'll just repent and turn towards Jesus. This is the greatest news in the history of the world, that you don't need any of these things that pride says you need because Jesus is the one thing that you need. It's impossible for God to leave you high and dry because his son was already there for you. High and dry on the cross taking your sin upon him so that you wouldn't have to be cursed with the curse of sin and death any longer. I don't know how each one of you came here this morning. I don't know what each one of you are going through. I know some of you are going through some deep, dark, despicable things. And what you've got to understand is God did not take you to that place to leave you abandoned. Stop trying to escape. Start trying to entrust Trust in Jesus, trust in God that he's got your best interest in mind. That if you'll just start serving him and following him and chasing after him, he's already there with you, beside you. There's nothing that you can do to make you God love you any less. He's there for you. You just got to turn, change your direction. The best is yet to come. I know that's true for your life. It's cliche, but it's true. If you'll trust in Jesus, your best is still ahead of you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and gather in this place to hear your word. God, again, we 
We're just asking you to do what only you can do. Speak to us. Help us see these blind spots that we've started to chase after some things out of pride. Open those things up to us right now. For each person in this room, let them know what they need to give up out of humility for you. To change their direction, to turn towards you, that these things are robbing them of their best life. As we continue to pray, as you continue to analyze in your own heart what next steps there are for you of following God closer. I believe that there's some of you in this room who have never committed your life to Christ to begin with. You've never repented to begin with. You've never turned towards Jesus. I want to give you a chance to do that right now. We believe that if you'll just repent, Jesus will take up residence in your life. That if you'll turn your direction. So I'd ask you just in your heart to pray with me. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've lived my own way. I'm sorry I've run from you. I'm sorry I've tried to escape your loving embrace. But I believe in Jesus. That he died for me. That he rose from the dead. And because of that, I'm made new. I want to serve you. Help me live for you. God, destroy pride in our hearts. Let us be like David, a man after your heart. Let us chase after you, love you, because it's worth it, and because you gave your life for us. We praise you, we thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.